Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. Hey friends, so today we have an excellent episode, something that I think is going to really help open your eyes to how prevalent this issue is with males, uh, with boys, uh, anyone who's a penis owner who has experienced abuse. Um, it is such an underreported and under misunderstood um, aspect of the issue of child sexual abuse. Um, and I want to share um, specifically that I think if you are able to listen to the whole episode, uh, and I hope that you can, but again, I always say trigger warning because uh, we do talk about uh, specifically uh, this person's experience. We can learn so much about what they did to overcome, you know, what that, uh, how they were able to find or develop their resilience to be able to um, do something impactful with that story, whether it's just learning how to heal on your own or to step into a healing journey um, or to reclaim your power, all of that can happen through healing. And so uh, I wanna encourage you to uh, tune into the whole episode if you can, but if you can't, please make sure that you are taking care of your mental health first and foremost. So to introduce you to who my guest is for today, uh, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeremy Indica. Jeremy is a male survivor of child sexual abuse, and he spoke out for the first time when he was 27 years old, which was just short of 20 years after the abuse had happened. He now speaks publicly and creates content online using film, photography, and illustration in an attempt to bring more attention to the subject. He truly believes that silence can be broken. And I absolutely agree. I brought him on to the episode to this podcast because I connected with his work a couple of months back and was really impacted by how he was able to share his story in such a brave way, but also how it actually can help others to uh, feel connected um, to their own story and realize that there is so much power in your story. And it's not necessarily because you have to share the story with others, and you'll hear more about that in the episode, um, but it's just to know that by some of us sharing our stories, we can let others know that they are not alone. And in particular, as it relates to males, uh, it's just such an underreported and misunderstood aspect. So I want to highlight that if you know someone who is a male survivor, I hope that you share this episode with them and that you can uh, allow them to share their story in a safe way if they feel compelled to after hearing this. So without further ado, here is my interview with Jeremy Indica. 
All right. So I am so thankful to have Jeremy Intica with us today. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here and uh, helping to share your story. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I uh, discovered your work not too long ago, um, and it really impacted me uh, because I, I've had, um, you know, sort of the, the desire to confront my own abuser, um, but it wasn't until last year that I finally did, and it was actually because I wanted to make sure that they didn't have access to kids uh, because of this lockdown, and, and it was so incredibly difficult to get to that. To, to muster the courage. And so first of all, I just wanna say, I think you're incredibly courageous. Um, and so for those of you who are, are listening and are not sure what I'm talking about, I would love for you to um, share some of your story. I want people to definitely go to your YouTube channel and watch it themselves. Um, so feel free to share as, as much or as little as you want. But um, if you can share your story um, and let us know, you know how that really uh, impacted your life, and how that's led you to this work. But let's start with just the beginning piece um, of you know, what happened and, and how, and, and with the most recent um, piece that I watched of you confronting your abuser. Can you share that with us and, and uh, give us some, some insight on that? Yes, so <clears throat> the abuse that I suffered went on when I was around eight or nine years old. <clears throat> and it was a male, babysitter that I had who had access to me he was looking after me while my parents were at work and he successfully managed to groom me and get control of me uh, as a child I, I do really find the the way people are managing to groom people absolutely mind-blowing because um, when I look back at the eight or nine year old that I was he he really did have complete control over me um asking me to do things I was doing them telling me how to do things I was listening and doing them and unfortunately they were of a sexual nature and this this abuse must have gone on for one for a long period of time maybe a couple of years and then it just stopped I don't remember exactly how it stopped but my life just continued I, I continued as the boy I feel like I continued as the boy that I was before um, I was quite outgoing. I had lots of friends. I was a boy that you would look at and you would have never known that I had um, just been through uh, the situation that I'd been through. And I say that with quite, quite a lot of confidence because now I speak about it publicly and um, I've asked a lot of people that were involved in my life, a lot of adults that were involved in my life at that time, maybe, for example, some of my friends' parents. And they all say to me um, what I've just described that there was just no no signs really at that time even when they look back in hindsight so um I didn't really start thinking about the abuse heavily until I was in my mid-20s the memories started coming back little bits by little bits I, I I realized what they were I tried to ignore them I spent a couple of years trying to ignore them but it was just like they were growing in in, in strength and size it was like they wouldn't leave me alone uh, I found it very frustrating. I was angry about it because actually I felt that my life was going very smoothly. Um, I, I had excellent friends. I had good family. I had uh, I was uh, 
design engineer, mechanical design engineer at the time. So I had a good career. I was having a great time. So I was very frustrated and annoyed that these memories were kind of starting to eat away at me. A couple of years passed and um, I found myself really struggling with what was going on inside of my head. And thankfully I made the decision to speak out about it to a close friend. And it was when I did this that I felt a real weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I felt, but, but even more than that, I felt like this sense of achievement, it felt good. It felt like I'd done the right thing. It felt like I'd really accomplished something. And that feeling when you feel like you've achieved anything is, is fantastic. So it gave me good feedback. So over the next couple of years, I started telling one person at a time <clears throat> and continued to become a little bit more confident with, with speaking. Because I mean, the first time I spoke, I was shaking, you know, it's such a terrifying experience. But the more I did it, the more I repeated it, that, that fear, that, um, that nervousness, that shake started to reduce every time. And then I started becoming confident with, with what had gone on. That was a really nice feeling. That kind of change in the balance was, was really great. And then once I'd spoken to, uh, uh, let's say 10, maybe 20 people, this was a couple of years from the first time I spoke, I then started thinking about where my abuser was and what he was doing. Very similar to what you just said um, about you, you wondering about what your abuser was up to. I think that's a really powerful thought. I think that's a really strong, strong thought. And I think um, we should be really proud of ourselves for getting to that position because um, that's really, I think you're really starting to own the situation at, at that point, you know. I started to worry that he was doing this to more children as we speak. And um, so, that's when I decided to actually start trying to find him. I managed to find his wife online. I messaged his wife. She gave me a very terrible response. So I said that if you can't put me in touch with him because I actually couldn't find him specifically online, uh, then I would have to go to the police. And so I had to go to the police. Um, the police investigation was took about a year and eventually they couldn't do anything for me because uh, there is no evidence. And I know that makes us all angry and that is very frustrating for us all. But I, I suppose I have to understand, you know, understand what they're saying. There is no evidence. And I did a bit of research and you can only take people to you can only take these situations to court. I'm living in, in the UK um, when there is, a, 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 where we can try to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And when you have no evidence, you really cannot. It's just my word against his. So the case got thrown out. Um, but I was still very angry because I mostly was angry. I started to become angry because he had denied it. 
Mm. You know, if he, I, I feel in my head, I still feel in my head, if he was man enough to take me as a child and manipulate me for what he wanted, this evil that he wanted, then you should be man enough to face me now, right? Um, so if you're not going to admit it to the police, then you should try, you should meet me. So I tried, I requested, I sent some more messages and I requested that we met and he just didn't respond. And then uh, over some more time, I, my anger was growing more and, and I still hadn't completed the task of making sure he's not doing this to other people. And that is when I decided that I would find out where he lives and um, go and knock on his door. Now, even when I say that, even now, this I, I knocked on his door a year ago. And even when I say found out where he lived and knocked on his door, I still feel like I was. There was one reason why um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to that last resort, and that was because I always felt like I had one foot in the criminal area. You know. I'm, I'm, um, uh, but I felt like I had no no option. Yeah, no recourse. You know, he's not responding to me. The police can't do anything to me. I need to find out whether he's still doing it and he needs to face me. So I managed to knock on his door and he answered. And um, when he answered the door, the his face he recognized me instantly he tried to shut the door in my face I managed to hold it open we had a confrontation for three or four minutes and then he called the police and unfortunately I was arrested and now I am facing charges of stalking harassment and assault and um, I've been to court twice and I will go to court for the final time in April wow now, the, the summary really for me is, this is a terrible situation that I'm now in, because now I'm facing punishment um, for these charges. And, and it's been told to me that I'm in quite a lot of trouble because um, harassment in the UK is treated quite seriously. And I'm not denying that I've harassed him, you know, I, I've messaged him 10 times and his wife. And, and um, but I just think, I just think, it's important that we do um, take control in a way of these situations. It's, it's so important that these people are called out on their actions. Um, number one, to make sure that they're not still doing it, to, to make sure that they haven't got access to children, to make sure that their job is not with children or vulnerable people. I think, I think in, in, in some way, I feel a slight responsibility that I should, I should pursue this mm. and, and make sure that children of the future do not go through what I went through with this man. I just feel that's very important. And actually, when I was pursuing him, let's say, I felt a lot of fear around that. Um, I was scared about actually, what would I do when I see him face to face? But Actually, there's, once I'd done it, I realized there's no real need to feel fearful of him. The fear is coming because from the child that I was. We're both men now. And actually, I'm in the driving seat because I have a story that he's scared of. Mm -hmm. I have a story that he wants 
that story to disappear. But I have it now and I'm holding it because I own it and I'm holding it high in victory. That's kind of how I feel. And I'm, and I'm putting it in his face. So, so I feel the power is with us survivors. The, the power is not with them. They're the ones that are running. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's so powerful. And for those who are listening, I think they can probably relate, you know, having this uh, idea in their mind of wanting to confront that person and either saying what they want to say, you know, to them uh, to get that off their chest and, and be able to feel like they had a say at finally, you know, um, or at the very least to make sure, like you said, we don't want this to continue. We don't want to see those people, con- you know, doing this to anyone else. And so I think there is this sort of sense of some kind of responsibility to denounce them and make others aware. And I think that that's such a, um, a common feeling among survivors that we want to have some kind of justice, right? And, and whether that's preventing it uh, from happening to other kids or for them to even acknowledge and at the very least acknowledge. And, you know, I've um, witnessed firsthand my own abuser who I know abused another family member. And, and I had had many block memories um, at the time when I first confronted him about someone else without realizing it had happened to me until my own memories surfaced many years later, but confronting him and hearing that person deny it while I knew very well that it was true um, because I believed, you know, that family member was just such an insult. It's like, it just hits you so hard when someone could, could so, you know, they, they just have this like cold face to, to just deny it. So, you know, it's like psychopathic, you know, Um, and, and that can bring such fury like it's I it can you know be definitely infuriating so I can I completely sympathize with all of the things that you were feeling and what how that could have driven you to to take that action and I I'm so sorry that you're having to now deal with it in a negative way and you know having to go through this uh legally against you which is you know like a complete irony to how this really should have unfolded so now you have taken this to share publicly. What, what made you want to share it so publicly? Because now you have, you know, many YouTube videos that you've uh, put out on your, on your channel, um, which I will definitely post the links and anyone can go watch those. Um, encourage you to do so if you're, if you're interested in learning more about this, because I remember watching the video that you did, um, you know, documenting you know, what you did, how that, that you contacted this person. And it was really gripping because, you know, I was like really hoping that it went well. I, I was hoping that it went well for you and to see how it turned out. Um, I think that there are many people who might fear the same kind of thing. And would you recommend, like, what would you recommend to people who want to pursue this in some way, shape or form, specifically and particularly if they do know that that person does have access to kids. What, what do you recommend? And, and also what compelled you to want to share this more publicly? I'm not sure about a recommendation for anybody that wants to pursue their, their abuser. Um, uh, maybe I would say, 
you know, make sure, look after yourself first and make sure the steps that you're taking are the safest steps that you can take um, for yourself as a priority mm-hmm. uh, try to use the systems that we have in place um to, to try to pursue him use the authorities and and really aside from that I don't really have any recommendations that the situation I'm in was never my plan or or was never <clears throat> never a situation that I was hoping to get in you know uh, but like you say the irony of it is now something that I will speak out about publicly because it is highlighting the issues that we have mm-hmm. um, with, with this situation. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, one of the big reasons why I decided to go publicly was because actually what, what started it was when I was speaking to my close friends about what happened, as I, would, as I did that over the, a, a few years, I started to become really curious about what other survivors were were going through so I started actually <clears throat> googling keywords like survivors abuse recovery pedophilia what's going on in a in some in an abuser's mind what's going on in a child's mind while they're being abused etc etc I started to become really fascinated with the topic and I got into chat rooms and I was reading other people's messages and I came across one message that absolutely struck me really hard it was from a 70 year old woman and she had explained that she never told anybody about what happened to her and that she feels that that really held her back in her life with her relationships her trust situations her jobs her confidence and it really 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 struck me because I feel now in the era that we're in with with the online situation, the social media situation, we really do have a fantastic opportunity to start spreading the word in a way. And I felt very fortunate and grateful that actually after the abuse had finished, I continued, I felt like I continued as as I was before and I had this job and I had great friends and I felt like I was in a good position to really at least share my story publicly. in some ways dedicated to this woman that never had the the chance to Mm. so I just started sharing it at at open mic nights in London I'd been to a few before so for anybody that's listening an open mic night is uh is an event which you can turn up to and everybody gets five minutes on the stage you can perform um poetry music singing storytelling and I'd been to a few and I thought that would be a good avenue to go down to get my story out there I wanted to speak my story but I also wanted to speak about things like why I thought I never said anything when it was going on how do I think it affected my relationships how do I think it's affected me as a person how do I really feel when I look back at it I wanted to explore all different angles because actually I wanted to make it interesting for the audience engaging for the audience not just my story every time and then one thing led to another and I started meeting people on the open mic scene that that do filming or or that that write things and I started working with them and improving the content and now for me it's all about trying to communicate the subject in the most engaging ways that I can think of so for example I made 
that small documentary, if you like, about what happened when I knocked on his door because I wanted to give people the idea of actually what happened that day. But now I'm starting to release uh, videos about the grooming process, for example, or um, how it felt when I first spoke out or um, what it is that I'm trying to do, what, 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 the, what the best result would be for me and this, this man that did that, that, that to me. So really it's raising awareness, but I really feel it would be great to get this subject in front of as many people as possible. Um, that's why I'm using film and photography uh, to try to do that, uh, because it's everybody's business um, it, and, and everybody should be aware of it because it has the possibility to touch everybody's lives, not just people who have a direct link to the topic, but also the people who do not. Mm-hmm. so that's really important for me and that's a, a big reason why I'm speaking publicly and making this content this episode is brought to you by consent parenting my online platform for survivor parents to learn how to keep their kids safe from abuse did you know that children of survivor parents have a five times higher chance of being abused because survivor parents don't know or learn the tools needed to prevent abuse They tend to overprotect instead of empower and prepare. You can change the statistics by becoming an educated parent. Get started by downloading my free guide, Seven Ways to Teach Your Kids About Body Safety, Boundaries, and Consent by going to aboutconsent.com forward slash guide. The link will be in the show notes to get your free copy today. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for doing so. I think the more that we can speak about this topic, make it less taboo. I'm always talking about that. We have to take this out of the shadows. It does not belong there. That is what is actually perpetuating the problem is that we're not talking about it. So the I think it's, you know, I, I have such admiration for survivors who are willing to share their stories and help others connect. Um, like you said, whether they're survivors or not, to understand how this really impacts children who become adults and go off into the world. And for a long time before I had come out about my own story, and and actually for a long time before those memories had even surfaced, um, I remember uh, connecting with someone who, again, a family member who um, had shared their story many years back and they were still struggling, you know, with PTSD and uh, various um, issues with the relationships that they were in, you know, getting into. And they kept saying, you know, it, this thing just, it just keeps recurring and it won't go away. And part of that was that they hadn't really stepped into their own healing journey yet. But also at the time, I remember thinking, why can't they just let it go? And this was, you know, me in my early 20s, very naive about the true consequences that happen in our minds and our bodies, the nervous system and how it, you know, remembers these things and it will eventually surface. And I think it's so important that um, people realize that this is, this really does impact the world. Like how many survivors have not shared, you know, when we look at the statistics, there are, you know, in the US and, and Canada, for example, the, the numbers are one in four girls and one in six boys. But I think those numbers are grossly underreported because 
of the nature of the issue is it's all based on secrecy. And so a lot of these people aren't sharing their story. They're not talking about it. And it's actually happening on a much bigger scale than we realize. And when we're not speaking up about it, whether as a survivor or not, we're just perpetuating this issue. So I, first of all, thank you for your courage to share your story so bravely and openly. Um, and also for taking on this, you know, chapter that you've, you've said, you know, I, the next chapter of this is going to be using my voice to inform others. And I, I also watched your uh, video about grooming. And I have to say, I really love the format of your videos. You were walking on the street It you know, it's engaging. And I think we need more content like that, which um, doesn't feel uh, so dark and heavy. You know, you, you really found a way to make that palatable too, for people who uh, maybe aren't survivors and aren't aware. Um, and you talked about grooming and I, that's such a huge piece of it that parents unfortunately still have this myth of the stranger danger, but it's actually the people that are closest to you that, you know, you have to look out for and learn about and, you know, all of, all of those prevention pieces. One of the things that I really find impactful about your work is that um, you are a male and I don't see enough uh, survivors that are males talking about this issue. And I think that's so critical for people to understand this isn't just violence against women and girls. This is definitely happening to boys and men. And have you found that uh, there are male survivors that are um, connecting with you that are, are saying, you know, thank you for sharing. Like, what has that experience been? And, and do you feel like that's starting to change or do we need more advocacy and more uh, education around the topic of male survivors? It's very interesting actually, because <clears throat> I receive, I do definitely receive messages from males saying, thank you. I feel like you're giving me a right to also speak my story. Um, so that's fantastic. Something that was very interesting when I was doing a lot of open mic nights before the coronavirus, I was speaking maybe three or four times a week around London. I had many females approach me at the end and just say, thank you, because we need more guys speaking up. Mm -hmm. It was then that it really started highlighting to me because of course I, I didn't know the ratios male to female of people that are speaking publicly. And that's when it started really highlighting to me that um, there is a lack of males. Um, we need more males males speaking out about it um so it's really interesting that uh, actually the, mo the more I do this work and the more I think about what happened from a male's perspective there is definitely this kind of feeling of I think embarrassment is the correct word for me as a heterosexual man there is a slight um what's the right word it's very difficult to explain these things there is an embarrassment because I have spent time in my life engaging with a man there's there's something very uncomfortable about that right and and there there are issues that this this child sexual abuse situation bring to 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 they have brought to my life I won't speak for all males but I think maybe many males feel that's the, the same way also, I think just in general, child sexual abuse brings a, a discomfort and an embarrassment because you uh, 
you were involved in a situation, you didn't understand it at the time, you were oblivious to it at the time, and actually you were being led in a direction that you had, you were going along with possibly, and you feel like maybe you've been taken for a fall. Possibly that's some of the emotion. And, and now that I've confronted this man and I'm speaking out about it, I feel like actually that's, there's just no need for those emotions because as a child you are going along with everything that adults tell you that's the way you are by nature Mm -hmm. like um you are listening to what they say you are taking on their compliments you are taking on their their instruction um you do get caught up in all sorts of things in your childhood that you look back at now and you think are so silly and unfortunately one of these is 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 one of them you you it was nothing to do with you it it was it was none of your decision so to I'm trying my hardest in my own situation to shed that embarrassment to shed that discomfort to shed that shame and be like okay this happened it's terrible it's devastating it's full of suffering it happened. It was 25 years ago. It was really nothing to do with me. Now, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to manage it? Because I feel if it's not managed correctly, it will eat away at you for the whole of your life. Um, so it's really excellent for me to hear you talk about that video of me walking down the street and the, the one that I talk, uh, comment on about the grooming process. And I love that you found it the way you did um because I was trying my hardest to to make it palatable I was trying my hardest to make it a discussion that is interesting because I used the father Christmas story I I I used the father Christmas story as a way to show people how powerful storytelling can be with children and how if we can tell if we can tell children the same story over years and they believe it even though that's story of father christmas is so far from reality then we can kind of see how the grooming process can also take over a child's mind even though what they're being asked to do is so far from the norm yeah and i was trying my hardest to make a video that you're even if you have no direct link to the topic possibly you'd be interested in watching because there is so much of um so many people are thinking that this isn't anywhere the ch- the risk of this happening to their children is is zero or it's nowhere near their home or their community and unfortunately i i don't think that's correct i think it's it's really is everywhere and like you said i think the statistics are nowhere near the reality nowhere near i think they're a drop in the ocean of, of mm-hmm. the numbers if we if we really knew and how sad it is that how sad it is that some people many people go to the grave with this secret um and and i'm not saying that speaking out is the is the absolute medicine i'm not saying that everybody should speak out and and i try my best not to actually encourage people to speak out i hope that people will see my work and be inspired but and do what they need to do is necessary for them um but just for people to go to the grave and never feel confident or own the situation or uh, for people to go to the grave with this still eating away at them, I feel very sad about that. And I hope that we can change. change yeah. 
Absolutely. And and I, I agree with you, uh, particularly, I mean, I agree with all that you're saying, and but particularly at the end where you said, you know, that hopefully people don't go uh, to the grave, especially with shame, you know, even if they don't tell anyone, at least to know that they did not play a part in that abuse, it was something that was done to them. Uh, regardless of what an abuser will have convinced you to believe at the time, um, you know, they were all lies and you were a child and, and, you know, no matter which way you cut it, they were the adult and they were the abuser and there should be no shame on the part of the survivor. So um, I love when survivors share that because I think it's so important that we keep hammering that message that shame does not belong on the shoulders of survivors at all. So if you are listening to this and do not feel ever compelled to share that's okay too, as long as you learn how to let go of that shame, because it, it really is the thing that I think ultimately eats away at people and prevents them from doing the things that they would maybe want to do in life. And you deserve the ability to thrive. So thank you for, for highlighting that point. One of the other questions that I had for you is, in looking at um, males, and I, I want to circle back to the beginning where you talked about, um, you know, really thinking about your sexuality, how did that impact you, right? And I think that that's one of the reasons why male survivors, um, you see these lower numbers. But again, I think that those are not valid statistics, because I think men uh, are more, um, even more secretive about their abuse, right? That, that they uh, don't want to disclose it because what would that mean about their sexuality? What would that mean uh, if other ma males knew about it? Um, you know, and then also on the flip side to understand that males can also be abused by women. And because of this toxic masculinity culture that we live in, um, even if they felt that it was non-consensual, they don't want to say anything because then that's going to like demasculate. I don't know, you know, like they'll think, oh, well, people are going to say, well, why wouldn't you enjoy that? You were 15 and it was a woman like what's wrong with that? You know, but um, there was a recent um, I think a few months back, there was a rapper T.I. Um, I don't know if you're f familiar with him, but him and his wife, um, there was this this story in the news about him going on a podcast talking about uh, his he takes his daughter on her birthday every year to get checked for her hymen to make sure that she was a virgin. And so there was a lot of controversy about that. But what I found really shocking and even more controversial that people are not talking about and highlights this particular point so perfectly is that he had previously talked in, a, in another podcast some you know years before that about how he had um, educated his son uh, about sex by bringing him to a prostitute um, to educate him. And he was 13 at the time. Oh, wow. And so to me, that's sexual abuse. And no one called him about, you know, like nobody has said, you know, that's wrong. That's illegal. That's not okay. It was under this sort of uh, machismo, you know, culture of, you know, I'm educating my son uh, to know so that he's, you know, he's aware of these things uh, to make him more of a man, you know? And so I, I think that that's so important to highlight that this is one of the reasons that we need to dismantle toxic masculinity. Uh, what's your perspective on that? And what do you think 
men or women or everyone can do to um, to change that culture, that narrative? Yeah, it's a very difficult, it's a very tricky one because everything you're saying about what's preventing males from speaking out about abuse from a male or a female when they were a child or uh, what's preventing or holding them up from really owning that situation is this masculinity question mark you know Uh, when you're growing up as a young man I think for the majority of people the last thing you want to do is is explain to your friends that you were sexually abused by uh, an older woman like you say you would get a response of oh come on I wish that happened to me or get over it or I think maybe um, I think maybe this this is a lot um, this situation is a lot more common than than we would ever think. I don't know really what the remedy is except for for people to normalize talking about it, but normalize talking about it and talking about it from a real strength point of view. You know, so for me, it's as soon as I heard somebody say say you need to try your best to own it instead of it owning you and and to understand that that it's just something it is it's not just it's something that happened in your past that you that that really you had no doing it you had no involvement in in a way um i think it's just more people speaking out and speaking up that will mm. that will eradicate this this issue um but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, have you started um, therapy? What are you doing to help you navigate this? Because I mean, I I can imagine how triggering this whole process has been. And uh, it sounds like you have a great network of friends and support, but what, what would, can you share uh, if you're comfortable with sharing what you've done to help you navigate this uh, process? So I've tried many different things um, to, manage the situation and really the best thing that I found was write writing was was number one the best thing as soon as I started writing the performances for the open mic it was like all of the medicine was in there Mm. it didn't matter if I performed it or not it was the task of writing the story Let's take that for as, as the first step. Writing the story in detail in a way that I would be proud to read out was the most revelationary personally mm. process. Because not only was I writing it from, you know, I was trying to, I was trying my best to write it in a way that I would read it feeling proud. Now I was doing that because of the open mic performance that I was I was going to do, but regardless if I wasn't performing it or not, to write it in detail in a way that I felt proud proud of. I don't know if proud's the right word. Um, I hope people understand, kind of understand where I'm coming from. I would read it and feel strong in reading it. And then like I you started, owned it, you own yes. like you owned the story, yeah. yeah. And that's a, a place of confidence that yes. you want to let go of that shame and, and share it, yeah. Absolutely. And then I started writing more. You know, I started like I mentioned a, a little earlier. 
I started writing about how I feel about it now, how I felt about it at the time, what I think would have been good, what I think would have helped me help to prevent it, what I would like to see. I just started writing more and more. And and that, out of all the things that I've tried, that has been the best thing thing for me. Definitely mm. just journaling. Um, and the more I hear about journaling now that I've been doing it a little while, the more I hear that actually they they really do think that's great for healing healing any situation. Yeah, yeah, it is powerful. I think um, it's actually one of the things that I've learned um, in the work that I've done is that when you can share your story, what your actually your brain is actually doing is helping to put things in sequence so that it can help you make better sense of what you went through and you end up having these breakthroughs because you understand your own story better. And so I think that that's probably part of what you experienced in journaling. And, and then that additional piece of wanting to share it publicly, whether you did or not, but framing it in that way, um, which helps you kind of become empowered through that storytelling, sharing, again, whether you shared it or not, but even just putting it into words and putting it on paper. I think that's so powerful. And I think that's actually something that a lot of people don't talk about enough. So I'm really glad that you pointed that out because usually people say, you know, go to therapy or tell somebody, but there's so much power in journaling and and putting like what has been inside of you out, right? And, and there, there's an energy transference that happens there. So Absolutely. I appreciate that. Well, I, I mean, I just am so grateful for the work that you're doing. And uh, I think it's so critical because uh, I know many male survivors and who have not been able to um, speak up. And I've only learned about their story um, because they finally wanted to share it with me. And it made so much sense about why they got into the relationships that they got into and had the addictions that they had. And for a long time, they didn't want to confront those things and just thought the addiction is the problem, but there was a deeper root. And so for anyone who's listening, who feels that this is something that they don't want to ever share, um, find other ways to let it out. You know, again, if that's journaling, if that's going to a therapist, if it's just telling a close friend, uh, you know, it sounds like that was really pivotal for you as well to be able to finally share it with, with a confidant who supported you, um, you know, so that's also important is that if you're going to share, make sure that you're sharing with someone who you do trust and, and know that, you know, you'll have their support. Um, Cause it's so important that we find community who can, you know, lift us up through these really difficult times. Um, so thank you so much for, for joining me. How can people um, find your, your videos? I mean, I'm going to obviously share the links, but is there a specific way that you prefer people to find your content or can people reach out to you? Uh, how can people connect with you? So at the moment, <clears throat> we've, we're using the social media platform. So we've got YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and it's all under Jeremy Indica. And Indica is I-N-D-I-K-A. And soon we've got a web, website coming. It's just in development at the moment. And that's super exciting because it shows the history of how we got here, the vision for the future and the collection of work that's been created and all the collaboration. So we're really trying to move forward with this, with this whole thing and, and build on it. I'm always open to people messaging in on any of the platforms. Um, if you would like to ask questions or give feedback on the work, which I always encourage because um, I, I'm trying my best to do something 
that I've never done before and um, in a way that <clears throat> I feel is is useful and you know so the power is with us survivors um, because we have you can't beat experience right you can you can study this topic for your whole you can dedicate your life to studying this topic the whole but but you won't get anywhere near the knowledge that a survivor has so the power is with us so i, I really do feel that together um as a community we can really really make a change i agree I agree. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. As I mentioned, all of the links will be in the show notes of this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this, if you found it powerful and impactful, and it has motivated you to take some kind of action, we would love to hear about it. Please screenshot us and uh, tag us on Instagram. Uh, please be sure to check out the YouTube channel and subscribe. There's some really amazing content in there. Um, and continue to follow Jeremy on his journey. Let us know what you're going to do to take action today. I'm all about taking action. So whether that is uh, talking to someone, journaling, uh, seeking support, stepping into your healing journey, we would love to know if you care to share. So Jeremy, thank you again for joining us. And I look forward to continuing to support your work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered. know and we will see you in the next episode thanks for being here stay empowered is there